Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. To me, this team accomplished more almost than any team. No disrespect to any other teams that we had or any championship teams. But this team won 11 SEC games. No other team has done that. Uh, they won the SEC and went undefeated in the SEC. Uh, and then they beat two great teams in the playoffs with no break in between. Now, this is our fifth game in a row from LSU to Arkansas to Florida to Notre Dame to here. Um, and played 13 games and went undefeated with all the disruption that we had in this season. Uh, I think there's quite a bit to write about when it comes to the legacy of a team. There's Nick Saban, and yes, that man just won his seventh national championship, and his demeanor was, I would describe it as slightly perturbed, Chris. That's as happy to eight. as you're ever going to see right. Nick Saban. We're on to number eight, and let's, let's go, and let's not spend a lot of time... I look, it takes that level of torment to achieve that level of success. You can never pause. You can never be content. You can never be satisfied. You have to constantly be striving for more. The struggle, the pursuit is where the satisfaction lies, and it's on to the next one. And it's warped and it's twisted and it's not healthy. But he's won seven national championships because of it. Yeah, uh, he's uh, one of the greatest coaches of all time. I mean, if not the greatest college coach of all time. But, I mean, he's in the conversation for just great coach, any sport, whatever it is. You know, part of the Bill Belichick tree, sometimes that kind of goes unnoticed, right? But they have the same demeanor, you know, and that same approach where it's like, okay, yeah, we won. We won the Super Bowl. We won the national championship. It's great. Well, you know have a beer and enjoy it. But, you know, the next day it's going to be on to the next season. Let's go. But what they've done, what he's done personally is unreal. The fact that they have won, what, six national titles since 2009. The fact that, you know, they've been in a number of other national title games or the final four games and lost to some freaky Clemson teams who were stacked and everything like that. I mean, you know, I don't know. There's definitely hasn't been a run like this. I guess the Alabama teams of the 60s and 70s, maybe the only team you in your lifetime that you could say had a run like this, especially in college football. Yeah, but there was nothing like this even then. There was a handful of great teams, right. but it always kind of worked its way out and it would be somebody different every year. There was never this year in and year out. Can they please stop it? type of dominance and I think back to December of 2006 and Nick Saban's notorious I'm not going to be the Alabama coach when he was the Dolphins coach he was the second choice after West Virginia's Rich Rodriguez Rich Rodriguez said no thank you to Mal Moore the athletic director at the time the University of Alabama before they made the push for Nick Saban yeah and Saban before we anoint him as the greatest coach of all time we have to peel back 
this notion that it's the recruiting ability in college. It's that power to go out and get yourself 10 first-round picks every year, not one, that sets him apart. And look, whatever it takes, that's the rules. That's where I have my skill set. That's where I'm going to excel. I'm going to get these guys to come to Alabama and cluster there, and we're going to have a great team. And the X's and O's really don't mean all that much when my talent is so much superior to your talent. Okay, fine. He pulled it off. He cracked that code, but the code he couldn't crack, and the code he didn't even want to try to crack beyond two seasons was the NFL code where the talent is flat and where the coaching is more important. And you can't be content for a minute or two while you move on to the next championship at the NFL level. The best that we've ever seen there is one out of three over a 20-year period, which I don't think Nick Saban would even be satisfied with if he could have even gotten to Bill Belichick's heights. So there's still that defect in the Nick Saban coaching legacy. It's that that spot on the hood of the car that he was washing as a kid at his dad's service station, and his dad would point out to him, good job, but there's still a spot on the hood of your car. The spot on the hood of Nick Saban's resume is he failed at the NFL level, and we can't forget that no matter how many national championships he wins well yeah i i understand that you know i mean bill belichick failed in cleveland and with that experiment it, it wasn't perfect for him his his skill set the way but he, he didn't coaches, run he didn't run to the naval academy okay. he didn't run to the naval academy well, for 20 years well, and never come back well nick saban had already been in the college is kind of where he had kind of set his place in the college football coaching world and i think probably yeah at some point okay right he wasn't perfect for the nfl you know, I think we could take Bill Belichick to college, and I might go. Oh, Wasn't I don't know. perfect. He was eight and eight. Okay, that's not horrible. I mean, you know, well, I don't know. He didn't stay long. He went back and dominated college football like we've never seen before. So let's just talk about that instead of nitpicking about something about no, fifteen no, years ago. No, it's not nitpicking. Holy crap! It's not nitpicking. Jeez. It's it's not nitpicking. Yes, you, it you're is. the one that said the greatest coach of all time. Yes, he is. There isn't no. He's the greatest recruiter of all time. Mike, he's Mike, that, he's adapted better time. than anybody ever. You don't just win by recruiting. You recruit different Clemson players. Clemson and Ohio hey, State have offense. all these NFL players, too. He beats them almost every year. The SEC is full of NFL players. That's all the NFL. He beats them every year. He adapts. He's continued to push the limits. He, be, he, he came from Mark Ingram, smash mouth football, Trent Richardson. And now you see them yesterday, they're the Kansas City Chiefs, and they're going every which way and throwing balls and reverses and everything like that. He's a phenomenal X's and O's coach. Phenomenal. Stop it. I would say maybe he's got some phenomenal X's and O's coaches working for him. His primary skill is recruiting. Look, hey, Chris, we are emissaries of the National Football League. And it's not like we, we have to, like, fake it. It's the highest level of competition. I know. It's the flattest, it's the flattest talent differential in, in any level of football by far. You know, there's hundreds of college football programs. There's maybe two that he has to worry about every year. Otherwise, they just show up and they, they can yell out their plays to the other teams, even in the SEC, and they ain't going to stop them because of the superior talent that he has recruited. And I'm not taken away from the fact that he has been the best recruiter we've ever seen, but let's not call him the best coach of all time because most of the work is done before the opening kickoff oh, even happens. Mike, 95% the coaching, of the work is done. It's all him. It's it's all him. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian, he's running he's he's changed as a play caller. It's all him. Everything he does. Their coaching is through the roof good. I know it didn't work out in the NFL to what we thought it might or where he is as far as the pantheon of coaches and all of that. I still think if he hung in the NFL, Hey, I, I'm one that would say I, he would have won a championship at some point. I I, I don't. I'm like okay. I'm not going to doubt the. What guy. do you base that on? What well, do you base that on? Uh, the, what, the, what did you the see nine, in two years at Miami to make you think that? Well, the nine championships that he has in college football. That's what I base it on. Those well, nine. Hey, right. hey, how about this? How about this? How about the decision? to trade a second-round pick for Dante Culpepper instead of sign Drew Brees. He still tries to blame on the doctors. Okay. Like the doctors would have told know. him no I wasn't if he there. wanted to do that. I, are, like are it's somebody really else's fault. Are you really going to die on the hill of Nick Saban not a great yeah, I am. coach today? I am. 
Mike, no, it's that's really, not what that's not, not what Mike, you said. Mike, you really, said greatest coach of all time. He's you triggered me by saying greatest coach of all time. Mike, he's not the greatest coach of all time. Bill Belichick is okay. Greatest college coach of all time, Mike. He's in the conversation okay. there. That's great. And Bill Belichick failed in Cleveland too. All right. So what? I mean, yes, right. Okay. Sorry, Mike. Sorry. Greatest college coach of all time in the conversation with the greatest coaches in any sport ever. Nick Saban's involved in that. Nick Saban's in there and he's towards the top of the conversation. So there, I don't know what else to say. Co Look, I'll, I'll agree with you. College football. Yes. But and he had his chance in the NFL. He ran away after two years, and he made a horrible decision, one of the worst quarterback decisions of all time, when he picked Dante Culpepper and surrendered a second-round pick with a wrecked and destroyed knee over Drew Brees, who had a wrecked and destroyed shoulder. But what are we talking about? With Drew Brees, first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And Saban himself said a couple of years ago that he still would have been the Miami Dolphins coach, although I don't believe it, if they had signed Drew Brees. And I'm not buying the idea that it was anybody but Nick Saban that said no to Drew Brees and yes to Dante. Okay, okay. fine. So, so he made so, oh, it's, it's, it's okay. It, it's one it's, mistake. It's amazing. The, I, you oh, know, pretty big mistake. The contrast to me is stunning. And why can't we delve into that? incredible college coach, greatest college coach of all time, mediocre at best. You know, I mean, I don't, look, I can't and, even and judge him as an listen, NFL coach. He wasn't there something. long enough to even judge well, it. Right. It's not. I, that's where we've let, seen Pete Carroll and Jimmy Johnson. Okay. I understand. Here's my point. We talked not that long ago about how it's admirable for guys to be so grossly competitive about everything they do and and it occurred to me during that conversation, you know, when kids act that way, we discourage it, right? When little Jimmy has to win at everything to the point where he's a little pain in the ass, we say that's an objectionable character trait. But we applaud it in grown men who have to crush everyone in everything they do. It's a weird contrast. And I, that came to mind for me. Because because you're crushing Nikki a guy Miami, that won a national championship and everything he's done. Is that why it came to mind? Because you're doing little, that right now? No, it, <laughs> it came to mind because little Nicky in Miami couldn't win the way he wanted to. So he took his ball and his bat and he ran back to college football. That's, just that's part of his legacy. Bull crap that's comment. part. Okay. Like he ran away that's, from that's, it. Like he was it's scared. A bull he true comment. But like you're, you're he did. You're okay. he did. You're acting like he was scared and like oh no, I'm like so outmatched and everything. I played against he, Nick Saban well, twice those years. His defense was on the cutting edge of the NFL at the time already. Should have stayed. Okay, so they didn't stayed. win. Mike should have come he back. Just like college point, football back. better. He doesn't give a damn what you think. And you're wrong. No. He's one of the greatest you coaches know, of all let, time. Let say, Any sport. Not even close. It's not even a conversation. I like, I like hey, hey. It's not a conversation, Mike. I like football Mike. where the players get paid. I like football where the players are Okay. That's great. We know and, you and, do. And, and, it doesn't change harangued. anything. They're still kids. And look at how they get treated. They get no money. They get yelled at by their coaches like Saban. I mean, it's one thing for Saban to yell at an NFL guy. You're yelling and screaming at these kids who aren't being paid. So that's a different debate for a I, different Because day. you've changed it but, off the topic of him not being no, the You're just, changing the topic. He's the greatest, he's, one of the greatest coaches of all time. You just set, say it. Just say it. He's, he's, that's he's all the, there is he's to the it. Greatest, he's the greatest college football coach of all time. At the NFL level, he gets – he doesn't even get a D. Great. He, he gets an incomplete. Great. Because he ripped up the test His and overall grade is a 99.9 as a coach, period. It doesn't matter. Right? Okay, he's got two years in hey, uh, hey, Miami. Hey, hey, Chris, Chris, he's got an easy way for him to prove me wrong. Easy way. There's seven openings right now in the NFL. Take one of them. Let's see what you can do, Nick. Why? Well, how Why many would you times do that? are you going to climb the Sam Dame mountain over? Because you've got, you've gotten to, see, you've beat Bear Bryant. You're the best college co uh, coach of all time. You're not going to get any better. You're not. There's no one else oh, to Tom, pass. Hey Brady, if, you're, you're the best the, of all time. Back to the Quit. NFL. Don't even play anymore. No, I mean, well, no. no. Why would but, he leave fuck, something but, where he's got a, uh, he's he's going to continue to have the, the greatest NFL. legacy ever? Why? That makes no sense. You're arguing just to will. argue on because a Tuesday morning. All That's right. all you're doing. No. no, I'm not. No, I'm not. This is what I believe, and I've believed it for a long time, and you drew it out in me today, you turd. You, it's your fault. You said so.
the the point is the point is there are seven openings right now in the NFL. If he wants to prove himself to be the greatest coach of all time in any sport, come back to the NFL. I'd like to see him back in the NFL. As salty and as prickly as he is, I like that. I like I like the Well, yeah, he's just like you. He's salty like and prickly, brings. just like you. Shocker. You guys are from West Virginia. I mean, I'm really surprised. I'm I'm shocked. <laughs> he grew up 20 He grew up 20 minutes away from Damn, me. Damn, it must I, be I, in the water. I'm not going to fawn. <laughs> I'm not going to fawn all over the guy. I mean, let's I I'm I th- 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 there is a defect in his resume and it's his 2 years at Miami. Okay. And that's not going anywhere. He can win he can win 10 more national championships and that's not going anywhere. That's all I'm saying. Nope. But let's talk about the game for a little bit let's talk about the game okay let's talk about the Uh, game when when we last saw Justin Fields against Trevor Lawrence in the semifinals Justin Fields was phenomenal right and I had real questions about whether or not Justin Fields would even be able to play it's not like there's transparency in college football injury like there is at the NFL level and I had I wouldn't pay any attention to it we had the end of the season we had coaching changes we had playoff games and Justin Fields looked fine to me but it wasn't the same guy that we saw against Clemson and to the extent that there was any steam out there building that maybe he could somehow make the Jaguars think twice that went out the window because for as good as he was in the semifinal game he was a non-factor in the championship game so he's still number two at best Trevor Lawrence is number one I I think so I you know again the, the 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 final four performance against Clemson was great there's no doubt you see like you see the talent you you can see that the potential everything that's there even on a night like last night where it wasn't perfect but what we saw last night is something that kind of pops up with Justin Fields just every now and then, and it's it's coachable. It's You can clean it up. It's not like, oh, no, I have real concerns about this guy. No, I, not at all. Big, strong, smart, you know, looks like a Dak Prescott out there to me, but, but faster in a lot of ways. But you do see every now and then, and we even saw this about three, four weeks ago before they got into the Big Ten Championship, or even in the Big Ten Championship, of just throws where you go, damn, he's too good to miss that throw. You know, I I think about, like, the second series of the game, Mike. I don't know if you remember. He had a little shallow cross. Guy's going to catch the ball and run for a touchdown. You know, they ended up scoring. He made other great throws to get them down there. But just little, like, should be a slam dunk, consistent th- type throw is still needs work with Justin Fields. So there is some things there, I think, with his throwing mechanics uh, that could be fixed and adjusted a little bit. You heard me talk about it the other day. You know, I, there, there's a little extra movement in his arm. And that's, I think, something to watch for as we get ready for the draft and do all that stuff. Well, and. Uh, look, they had to be perfect last night in yeah, their offensive execution to right. match Alabama. It was like a tennis match early on. Touchdown, 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 touchdown. And we were talking before the show. When they were held to a field goal and it was 21-17, that was it. That that was the moment. And then it just it just went from there. They, next thing you know, it was 28-17. Then it's 35-17. And, and uh, you know, they, they didn't give up. They kept fighting. They kept trying. But uh, – it was just two different qualities of roster on the field last night, and and I think that it keeps Justin Fields where he is. Now, he may not be number two now after seeing what Devontae Smith did. Just in the first half, over 200 receiving yards, three touchdowns, player of the game, and he exited early in the third quarter with a dislocated finger that uh, I think they were having a hell of a time with. I think at one point they were talking it, about taking him to the hospital with the dislocated like finger. Yeah. Yeah, I, and, and that's okay. something now that, that, hey, you enter the draft and welcome to whatever the scouting combine is going to be this year, but they're going to be making sure that that finger is fine because without you know both hands and all fingers, you can't generate the kinds of numbers we've seen. That is obscene, insane, Chris, insane. what this guy has done. It's unbelievable. I look at week 10. How in the hell did he have a game with only three catches and 22 yards? That stands out. The other games are phenomenal over the top, and he saved his best for last in the championship game in one half. He had 215 yards, 12 catches, and three touchdowns. Here's my thought on this, and I have not studied this carefully, but you know, when I see a guy who's of slight build who is running around like crazy in the college level, running around untouched, um, I think of uh, Desmond Howard. 
Yeah. And I think of what happened to Desmond Howard when he came to the NFL level. And then all of a sudden, and if you've seen the movie The Best of Times, Jack Dundee, played by Robin Williams, lines up against the guy known as Dr. Death. And that guy just keeps jamming him and throwing him down into the ground, and he can never get off the line of scrimmage. Well, until the very end of the – I don't want to spoil it if you haven't seen The Best of Times. I watched it again not that long ago. It doesn't hold up well. It was a disappointment. But – but but yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. 36 years is the uh, amount of time that we'll go on the spoiler. But anyway, uh, I uh, do you have that concern that this guy's just not big enough to deal with what he's going to face at the NFL level when he splits wide and and there's a guy there ready to to hit him like he's never been hit before and keep him from getting into his route? It's it's going to be the number one thing probably talked about with him, but you know, with with the protection of receivers and you know, the protection of players over the middle, not hitting defenseless receivers, all those type of things. I don't think it's as much as a worry as maybe it was 15, 20 years ago with that type of guy. And we've seen a lot of Deshaun Jackson, Hollywood Brown type of guys come in the NFL. And because they're such phenomenal athletes and so fast, they know how to protect themselves and stay out of harm's way. So I, I don't look at it as an, an issue anymore. And I don't think he's the kind of guy that's going to be making his money, you know, run, running over the middle a whole lot anyways as far as, you know, in between linebackers and making those type of catches. But, I mean, the explosive ability is just – it's off the charts, right? I, 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 to me, the thing that I'm amazed by with, with Devontae Smith is just it looks like he's jogging and everybody else is, like, behind him running full speed like – Oh, I can't. And, and he's like, just, it doesn't look like he's breaking a sweat, but yet he's flying because you can just tell the amount of ground he's chewing up. I mean, he, he is definitely a top 10 pick. And now it's going to be like, is he a top five pick for one of these teams that's got a quarterback that's got a real need at wide receiver? Yeah, and, and and look, and the Devontae Adams tweet is awesome. From now on, if you spell my name, make sure it's Devontae because he's that boy. And, uh, I, I, you know, you know what happens. You're going to have people in these organizations that obsess over the measurables, and you're going to have people say he's too slight. He needs, you know, does he, will his frame allow him sure, to right. thicken up like a Tyree Kill? Tyree Kill's thick, even though he's not big. He's got a thickness to him that a Deshaun Jackson doesn't have. And you're right, Deshaun Jackson's had a great career. And he can get off the line of scrimmage. My main concern is getting off the line of scrimmage, but there's all sorts of motion and stuff that exactly. they can do to allow him to get an opening where he's already got a running start and you can't keep up with him. And, and he, if he's going in motion, if he goes into the backfield, there's so many things a creative coach could do with Devontae Smith at the NFL level. I think that is the thing that will, that will vault him into the upper levels of the draft this year. Agreed. And it could go as high as number two. Not, uh, not necessarily to the Jets, yeah. but you know what? If the Jets are going to keep Sam Donald, maybe he's your guy at number two. Well, yeah, I mean, listen, it's all dependent on, you know, what position is, you know, got a lot of guys that are high-level guys. The, the ranking order of the draft, you know, where, where is there a lot of depth? Where is, it depends on how good of receivers that are going to be in the draft, in the first-round conversation. You know, if, if he's one of maybe only two or three guys in that conversation, then – yeah, he might be in the top five or top ten like that just because people are going to go, wait, we got to get him now. And when you look at teams like the Jets and the Dolphins with, yes, young quarterbacks, I mean, we don't know what the Jets are going to do. That makes sense in a lot of ways. I mean, the Philadelphia Eagles sitting at number six. Yeah, I mean, we talked about they need a wide receiver, definitely. You know, so I, I, there's definitely going to be play for a guy like Devontae Smith because football has become – just like a lot of all the other sports, it's homers and strikeouts. That's what it is. It's, it's yeah, okay, well, it, it's all about big plays and shifting field position, and Devontae Smith is one of those guys in, in a punt return, a slant, a screen behind the line of scrimmage. He can change the field position or just go ahead and flat-out score, uh, and that's special. Game breakers are, are in need more than ever in the NFL right now. You make a great point, though, about the the concentration of total receivers because why do you burn a top-five pick on Devontae Smith if there's a Chase Claypool lurking in round two, potentially? Yeah, right, right. It's almost like with running backs now with receivers, and this gets back to the old seven-on-sevens from the time they're 13 years old, all those quarterbacks throwing passes, plenty of guys running routes and right. catching passes right. and developing and developing and improving, and the next thing you know, they're ready to enter the NFL, and – 
there's too many other positions to get all the good receivers taken early. Teams have different needs. There are great players in all shapes and sizes. And somehow a guy like a DK Metcalf lingers to the bottom around too. So that's part of the balance. That, part and that of gets it. that gets into that running back conversation. Like, do we have to use a top ten pick on a running back? We can get a running back anywhere. Do we have to use a top five pick on Devontae Smith? We can get a receiver that's, you know, yeah. not as good. But the but barely less later, below, right? And we get two extra draft yeah. picks for trading down and doing it, right? I mean, that's what and, you got to balance. And this other guy's six three, and he's two twenty, and he's got an NFL body already. And this idea of is he going to hold up? Sure, uh, that's not going to be a factor for us. There's all sorts of of issues like that that will come up as they begin the process of scouring over all of these college players in a truncated season for a lot of teams. It's going to be harder than ever for these scouts to to make good decisions, reliable decisions, especially when you consider we don't know what the combine's going to be. Will there be pro days again? It's going to be very hard to get the full body of information that scouts have had in past years. It's going to be a lot like last year. Last year may even be better in many ways than this year was because at least last year they had the full scouting combine before the world turned upside down. All right, we're yeah. going to take a break. When we return, Nick Saban is calling into the program to have a conversation with he, us about whether he's there. <laughs> he just wants to have it with you. We're good, Nick. Don't worry. I'm with you. I'm on Team Nick. That's that other guy. I don't know about him. <laughs> One of the jobs that may be attractive to Nick Saban is in Philadelphia because there are now seven vacancies. The Eagles are looking for a head coach. What happened and where both the Eagles and Doug Peterson go in the aftermath of yesterday's news that Peterson is out. We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. My first allegiance is what will be best for the Philadelphia Eagles and our fans for the next three, four, five years. Um, it's not based on does someone deserve to hold their job or deserve to get fired. That's a different um, bar. Um, very few people probably after success deserve to uh, lose their job. Uh, this is much more about the evaluation of whether the Eagles moving forward, our best option is to have a new coach. And um, that that's really, really what it's about. Uh, it's not about um, did Doug deserve to be let go? No, he did not deserve to be let go. That's not where I'm coming from. And that's not the bar uh, in the evaluation process. I want to give Eagles owner Jeffrey Lurie the benefit of the doubt there. If that's the best you can do to explain the decision to fire a guy who just won a Super Bowl three years ago, maybe you shouldn't be firing a guy who won a Super Bowl three years ago. Or maybe you should not be telling us that. There's got to be more to this. Well, that's, that's what, that's what it is. That's what There's it is. There's more to this. Exactly. There's I, a lot more to exactly. this. Exactly. Right? He's being careful. He's uh, that's, that's what it seems like to me. I mean – it, it, it explain like it. It doesn't make sense any of it. Three out of five years you've gone to the playoffs. You know, three out of the last four years you won a Super Bowl three years ago. All of that, nothing lines up to 
what that deserves to get fired. There has to be other there has to be other stuff to the story. And I think that's some of the stuff you and I have heard behind the scenes. I don't know the exactness of all of that, but there's obviously an issue there with where the organization did not like where Doug Peterson's vision was for the future of the organization and didn't just like some of his answers, apparently, as far as how the organization was being run right now. That, that's kind of what it sounds like to me. And I don't know that vision is all that accurate either. Vision just may be the buzzword that somebody came sure, up with sure. to put the candy coating on whatever dysfunction is beneath it. Could it just be personality conflicts? It's And, and what's amazing to me is we heard the phrase from Jeffrey Lurie five years ago when Chip Kelly was fired after only three seasons on the job, emotional intelligence. And it, it created this sense that Doug Peterson is this savant when it comes to interpersonal skills and he knows how to connect properly. And now maybe it's just Chip Kelly was so bad, you just have to be a little bit better to be viewed as some expert in how to properly get along with people. Maybe after time, it just didn't work. Maybe, maybe people changed after they won a Super Bowl. Maybe Doug Peterson, as plenty of coaches do, as they gain success, they try to secure more power and influence within the building. Maybe there's something to that. Look, all of this is fair game for us because they are selling us something that feels incomplete at best, fabricated at worst. And the other side of it, too, is, Chris, and, and this is not an insignificant part. Jeffrey Lurie wants Doug Peterson to get one of these other jobs because Jeffrey Lurie owes Doug Peterson two years of salary. And if Doug Peterson just goes home and does nothing, sure. he gets paid every dollar he would have gotten paid if he'd still been the coach of the Eagles. He wants him to land somewhere else, Lurie does, because then he's off the hook, possibly for all of it. If At least not if all of it, depending upon what kind of a deal Peterson would get elsewhere, most of it. That's part of it, too. So he didn't deserve to be fired. He's a great coach. I hope he gets another job. I recommend him to anyone, who, anyone else who wants to hire him because I'd prefer not to have to pay him for two years to not work. I think that is part of it as well. Well, I'm sure. You know, I think Jeffrey Lurie's a good person, and he also is – you know, recognizes what Doug Peterson did for the organization. I mean, it was special as far as winning their first Super Bowl ever with a backup quarterback, all of those things. So I think he'll be forever indebted, you know, to him in, in some sort of way or fashion. But, like, I, I come back to, like, what kind of what you're saying, though. You know, I, I, don't, think it's, I don't think this is just one thing. You know, I, I think this has got to be a lot of answers or actions that are not liked to come to this type of decision there. That's where I think Jeffrey Lurie, that's why his words are very measured, you know, deserve. Yeah, no, I mean, a lot of people don't deserve things. You know, the, the, you know, the, the kid who's starving in the world, what did he deserve to not have, you know, food and do things like that? Nothing. So, you know, it's just one of those situations, though, where, I, I, I mean, I, I just think there's a lot of issues there. And that's what I've been led to believe as far as, you know, people I know behind the scenes and, and, and not that I've gotten the exact answers and conversations there, but that's what I've been kind of led to believe by people in the know. And uh, it just kind of seems what what it is with the way Jeffrey Lurie is answering the questions, too. Never underestimate the power of the billionaire's privilege as well. We have to remember that. You're, you're, the, you're the person who owns the team. Sure. You run the team. Yeah. He's around the team. If there's something that you see that you don't like and it festers and it grows and it builds and you just you know I just don't like him anymore I mean that hey th these are still human beings walking around with all this money at the core they are human there is a fundamental change in the existence I think once you acquire that amount of wealth and influence and power but you're still just a guy like anyone else and at some level he may have just decided, I don't like this guy anymore. I used to like him. I don't like him. I don't like the way he talks to me. I don't like the way he coaches the team. And there's somebody else out there that I think could, could, could do better. And that's the other side of this, too. You know, there's two different ways coaches get fired at the NFL level, or really at, at, at any level. One, 
I'm just fed up with this person and done with this person and you're, you're gone and I'll go find someone else. Anyone I find, I could throw a rock and hit somebody who would be better than this guy. Go. That's one way. The other way is, you know, I have a coach, but there's somebody else that I think I can hire who would be better. How do we make it happen? Well, step one, you got to fire the guy that you have. Step two, you hire the guy that you want to hire. And I'd say most owners go into these processes knowing damn well who they want. And for something like this, when you're talking about Doug Peterson after three straight playoff appearances, after a Super Bowl championship, the first ever for the franchise, three years later to be fired, it tells me that Jeffrey Lurie knows exactly who he's going to hire, Chris. You think so? I, I, I just, I mean, I, I understand that they, they probably have, you know, some guys they got their eyes on, but I, I think he knows exactly who he's going to hire. I, that's just that, that gut. It's a, it's a pasta and meatballs thing that just occurred to me. Yeah. It's a gut thing that just occurred to me. As we've talked this through, this happens not because Jeffrey Lurie says Doug Peterson is unfit to be the coach because he's not unfit to be the coach. This happens because there's somebody else that Jeffrey Lurie wants and the window is open to go get that person. That's my belief based on just talking circumstantial evidence and gut feeling. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, I don't doubt that. I don't, I mean, you know, a smart organization would already have, you know, that plan, you know, set in motion to a degree if you know, you're going to make that, but I don't think it's what ultimately, I, I don't think it lines up at least to what we've seen to where I think that was the ultimate reason for the decision. We heard these rumors before the season was over, and I think we all kind of went like, ah, there's no way they'll do that. There's no way. But it, it's one of those now that you look back at it, you go, oh, no, no, there, there's something there. And, again, because of the resume, everything you've said, Doug Peterson's done nothing you know, to embarrass the Eagles as far as like, it's not like he's handled himself improperly or done anything wrong that way to where that's where I just look at it and go, something doesn't make sense. And they, they're, they're off. They're not on the same page, whatever it is, the Eagles, Jeffrey Lurie, Howie Roseman, they didn't like where this was going with Doug Peterson. I think it's just plain and simple. And I don't, I, what I'm interested in is too, is where's it go from net from, from here, does he get a job? And who takes over Philadelphia? Do you really want the Philadelphia job right now? That's a, that's the other thing I would say about that's why it was a little risky to fire him. This is not a job like everyone's like, oh, please let me take over the Jalen Hurts, Carson Wentz situation and be in a total disaster right as I come into the NFL. Please, please, me. I mean, from that aspect right there, the job's towards the bottom of the list because of that crap you got to deal with. I want to try to thread this needle a little bit and harmonize the various things we've been discussing. It's yeah. possible that the relationships, when you talk about Jeffrey Lurie, Doug Peterson, and Howie Roseman, and remember, Howie Roseman's background is he's the guy who got thrown out of the main part of the building when Chip Kelly was there and somehow staged a second act of his career where he got himself back in. There's been no discussion about Howie Roseman being in trouble. There's been no discussion about a new GM, and he wasn't involved yesterday. He's, I think, clearly safe, and that did come up yesterday from Jeffrey Lurie. Howie Roseman's going to be there, and it may just be plain and simple. As Doug Peterson was having success, he was flexing his muscles internally. He was trying to develop more influence and power, and he was getting nowhere. He was still being treated the way that he was his first couple of years on the job. And from his perspective, you look at it and say, I want a Super Bowl. Come on. I mean, are you not going to listen to me? I'm a Super Bowl winning coach. This is BS. That that may have just been one of the things that Could led be. to. Right. That led to, you know, and, and here's how we harmonize it. We started hearing the rumors and rumblings late in the season. That may have been the point where Jeffrey Lurie and possibly Howie Roseman together decided, here's who our next coach is going to be. And we just need to wait until after the season to implement the plan. And that's and that's, you know, let's get we get through the season. We don't make the playoffs and and we, we you know, we find a way to artfully extricate from Doug Peterson and then we go hire the guy we want to hire. Now, the question is, who? and you're right, who wants that job? Unless it's somebody who's already kind of wink, nod. Yeah, I'll take it. Right. It is a tough situation because, number one, it's a tough market. 
The media is not going to be friendly. The fans are going to be skeptical. Even though they wanted, as far as I could tell, they wanted this change. They were upset. They just wanted something. Like, we're just upset. We want something. Okay, you're getting a new coach. Well, who's the coach going to be? How do we know he's going to be any better? What if he's worse? Well, you wanted something. You got something. So it's not going to be an easy spot for whoever takes that job. I agree with you. I, You know, I did a ranking last week of the of the jobs, and I had top three. Chargers, Jaguars, Jets. The other three, wait till next year. I, I pr- I'm probably more tempted to drop this one into the wait till next year if you're a head coach and you're looking for a job because this may not be a great spot for you right now. Well, I mean, need receivers. The, the, that's not on the roster. The quarterback situation, need running backs. Defensive lines old, need, uh, need new guys on there. Linebackers are underwhelming. Safeties are nothing special. Corners are okay. Team's got a lot of work. That's where and, – and then to me, Mike, the other thing when you just talk about taking it over too and the quarterback situation, I, I mean, that's got to be part of who you hire as a coach. You know, I know Jeffrey Lurie made some strong comments about Carson Wentz and, you know, I expect him to be the guy we drafted him and he nobody wants to win more and win more for the city of Philadelphia. I, I mean, I don't know. That That's the big question. Does he really want to win for Philadelphia at this point? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if like Carson Wentz was like, ah, oh, no, screw you, Philadelphia. I want out of here. Uh, so that, too, has to play into this. And if you're a guy that's looking to be the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, that's certainly going to be part of, like, do I want to take that job? And the other thing I'll just say about it, too, is, you know, you'd like to figure out this situation, too, because if you do go with Jalen Hurts, you know, you have to build your team to fit Jalen Hurts. That's a different team than Carson Wentz. You know, Jalen Hurts, I think you got to go the way of almost like, hey, we're going to play a little bit Lamar Jackson ball and Baltimore Ravens. You know, man, he's not as fast and, and quite as dynamic as a runner, but he's a really good runner. But I think you go all in with that kind of, hey, he can run, he can throw, we're going to be a double threat type of offense to where you would want a coach that fits that too. So that's why I look at it and go, this is a little more complicated, this job, than um, – it looks at first. It's amazing. It was only nine days ago that on uh, the last football night in America of the regular season, yeah. I explained that what the Eagles plan to do was get some distance from the season and then make a decision about what their quarterback position will be. Will it be an open competition between Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts? Will they reinstall Carson Wentz, the franchise quarterback, making more than $30 million per year without question? Or do they just say, Jalen Hurts, here, it's yours take it and I still agree with your observation that the the decision to pull Jalen Hurts from the second half of the Washington game at some level may have been motivated by ensuring that he doesn't secure the victory and thus in turn a presumption that it's his job week one of 2021 but now that analysis unless they already know who they're going to hire that analysis is complicated by the looming interviews where I think question one Tell me what your plan is, what your vision is to continue to use the buzzword that's emerged in the Lurie-Peterson conversation. What's your vision for our quarterback position? What do you envision? Show us film. Show us some play designs that you have. Which guy would you use? Do you advocate trading the one that we don't keep? And, you know, if, if we believe that Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson had a relationship that was fractured beyond repair. Those were the three words that Chris Mortensen added to the broader context of that relationship. If that's true, well, Peterson's gone. So I know whatever that, it was right? that was bothering Carson Wentz should be gone now, unless Wentz was just pointing at the closest guy right. as the manifestation of his discontent. And now that that guy's gone, well, I'm still not happy. Yeah. My, my relationship with Howie Roseman is fractured beyond repair. And then they fire him. Well, my relationship with Jeffrey Lurie is fractured beyond repair. I, I, I want to know what Carson Wentz really, really yeah, wants. Right. And, and, uh, and look, I, this, this has got some Houston Texans quality to it because what the quarterback wants is relevant. What the quarterback prefers, what his vision is for his career is relevant. You can't give a guy that much money and that mantle and just say, go sit down and shut up and we'll tell you when it's time to come to practice. You have to be sensitive to to how he's going to react to who the new coach is and what the vision for him is. So this yeah. is not – It's a tough one. Look, 
I I would always keep the Lombardi Trophy close by as a reminder of better days because better days these are not for the Philadelphia Eagles. No, uh, no, it's this is uh, I mean it's become one of them like the stories to look for here in the offseason right now. The Eagles and just everything. What are they going to do at head coach? What are they going to do about the quarterback situation? How are they going to flip their roster over? All of that. Uh, it, it's, uh, I mean, they're they're in a tough spot. And, like, Mike, I thought about exactly what you just said when I first heard the news yesterday. Like, was that a, is that an, a move, is that a move to make Carson Wentz feel better? Did this have anything to do with Carson Wentz at all? Or it was just, this just a total Doug Peterson thing and, hey, we'll deal with, you know, Carson Wentz separately. But you're right. I mean, we I heard that report with Chris Mortensen in week 17. That certainly didn't seem good. But, like, I don't think you fire the coach if you think, okay, Carson Wentz just doesn't even want to be here in general. So I'm not going to fire him just based solely on Carson Wentz. So I, I don't know. That's where I just look at it and go, do the Eagles have an inkling right now to go, no, I think Carson will be happy here in Philadelphia now that Doug's gone? Or is this like a last-ditch effort? you know, to save the Carson Wentz situation? Or is it just something in totality where there's a lot of issues with Doug Peterson and they don't see eye to eye with the organization and they just felt like they had to move on and now they're going to figure out the Carson Wentz thing on the fly? And that's what it kind of feels like to me on the uh, the last option I said there. There is a chance that it is as simple as this town isn't big enough for the two of us and one of us, whether it's Peterson or Wentz, has to go and the organization chooses the quarterback over the coach. That's possible as well. Yeah. But we, we don't yeah. know, and who knows when or if we ever will know. What we do know is Doug Peterson is now in the pool with all the other candidates for the other six vacancies that are out there. We have seen coaches get fired in one city and land immediately Elsewhere, we've seen Super Bowl winning coaches have to sit out a full year like Mike McCarthy did after he was fired by the Packers before finding his next gig. What do you believe is next for Peterson, Chris? Well, uh, I think he's he's probably going to look at the options that are available right now out there as far as who might want to hire him and, you know, if, if his services are needed. I would expect. I mean, I don't think Doug Peterson's any – I haven't heard anything where he's thinking about stepping away from the game or anything like that. So – you know, I would expect them to be in the pool of the conversation here about, you know, guys that are linked to d different teams. But the, the thing that's going to be interesting about that, too, is the way it ended in Philadelphia. Nobody's just going to be like, oh, we got to get Doug Peterson right now because of everything we've talked about. There's a lot of questions that would need to be answered to make me feel comfortable as, let's just say, an owner, a GM, a, you know, president of football operations. I would go, wait, that. Philadelphia thing really seemed weird. It didn't end right. Uh, you got to do your homework and figure out what really went on there uh, just to do to make sure you, you feel comfortable if you do want to hire a Doug Peterson somewhere down the road here. And let's think about that. That's a project that you would have to take on on top of everything else you're doing with your other candidates. And there's a point where you ask yourself, do we feel so strongly about Doug Peterson yeah. that it's worth slamming the brakes on our search? Because you know what happens once these dominoes start to fall and maybe they start falling as soon as today. Maybe Urban Meyer was just waiting for Ohio State to play last night before he took the Jaguars job today. All I'm saying is maybe. I'm not saying definite. I'm not saying probable. I'm just saying maybe. But once these jobs start to fill up, you get a little bit of a land rush. You get a little bit of anxiety. You know, the music is starting to stop. Are we going to get a good candidate? Where's this going to go? Teams may say, ah, we'll do our homework about what happened between Doug Peterson and Philadelphia another day. We'll leave that to next year's pool of teams looking for coaches. It's too much to throw on top of what we're already doing. There's been some speculation about the Jets because Joe Douglas, the GM, was sure. in Philadelphia. You know, that's the most obvious, and we do it all the time. We do it all the time. Hey, they, they, they used to work together, so they want to work together again. Well, sometimes they have no desire to work together again. We don't know what the relationship really is. And a point, uh, two points. One, and this is stupid, but teams think this way. Their last hire was who? Adam Gase. What had happened to him? He had just been fired by somebody else. We're not going to hire somebody who had just been fired by somebody else again. We're not going to do it again. It's stupid because it's two completely different coaches, but sometimes that's a factor. And the other thing, and this is weird inside baseball kind of stuff, inside baseball football kind of stuff. Bob Lamont represents Joe, uh, Peterson. Bob Lamont likes to pair his general managers and 
coaches together. Sure, right. So Lamont's going to steer him away from the Jets if Lamont's got a voice in this. And one thing we don't realize, casual fans, even ardent fans, there's a huge influence. Oh, huge. These agents like huge. Bob Lamont and Jimmy Sexton, kingmakers, no putting doubt. guys in different places in the offseason. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. They are a big factor in all these decisions that get made through these organizations. And like, I think you made the point with the Jets right there. I think that's why it doesn't make sense and it doesn't fit. We just came with, like you just talked about, a guy who was supposed to be a good offensive coach and kind of a quarterback guru, and it was underwhelming when he left Miami, and it just left off the jumping spot to get on him here in New York. And I think that would be the same thing here again, too. As soon as he fails, they'd go, oh, the offense isn't good, and he, what did he do with Carson Wentz anyways? And that would be dangerous, I would think, for the Jets as an organization. All right, we're going to take a break. When we return, an update on something we discussed yesterday regarding Bill Belichick and a certain civilian honor known as the Presidential Medal of Freedom. We'll give you that information right after this on Pro Football Talk. When I heard on Sunday that Bill Belichick was receiving the Presidential Medal of Freedom in light of the various events of the past week, I was stunned, I was shocked, and I... I decided it was my obligation to try to push back against that concept because I believed if he had gone through with it, it would have been a disaster for him, for the NFL, and for the New England Patriots. Wrote a couple of things about it, expressing my opinion. People may disagree with me. That's fine. Start a website and articulate your opinions there. I've been working on this thing for 20 years, and when I have an opinion, I'm going to share it. Bill Belichick last night issued a statement agreeing that this is not something that he should do. It was written very artfully, very deft use of the passive voice. He never says, I decided not to do it. The decision was made not to do it. But, you know, the White House put out there that he was doing this on Thursday, that he was accepting the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the highest civilian honor that can be bestowed by the office of the presidency. They put the cart before the horse, Chris. Somebody should have checked with Belichick to make sure he still was going to do it, unless he said as of Sunday he was, and someone changed his mind between Sunday and Monday. Well, we've heard that this is something that's been in the works, right, for a while, right, even though we just got wind of yes. it. Yes. So, uh, again, I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I would think anybody with the Trump administration would check on anything after the last weeks of events. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, everybody's going to second guess anything involved with you, Mr. President, after last week. So, you know, I don't know. Anybody else you got scheduled to, to come to the White House this week, you need to call them and go, wait, are you still going to come here even though I decided to try to end or disagree with our Constitution and our country? So, uh, yeah, I think that, that that's their fault. But it's typical. We've seen this a million times. He's still going to throw out the first pitch for the Yankees too, right? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I have right. a feeling that that will not be rescheduled. Right. That was postponed to be rescheduled never, later day. Never. I don't think that's happening. Never. We'll be right back. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.